G'day everyone, welcome to Lubrication Experts. Um, we have a returning guest back by popular demand. Welcome back to Sanya Mathura. Um, we're going to be talking about a very pressing issue within the lubrication community, something that um, feels like, it, it sort of feels like it came out of nowhere and took people by surprise, right? So what we're talking about predominantly today is varnish, right? All of the sort of causes, degradation mechanisms and things like that. Now, if you remember, Sanya was actually an early guest on this podcast way back when, and we talked about degradation mechanisms, which obviously kind of neatly leads into varnish. So if for any reason you didn't see that episode, then I highly recommend you go back and actually see that. So um, Sanya actually wrote the book on lubricant degradation mechanisms. So, you know, we, we talked in depth about that and um, I'd suggest you actually pick up a copy of that book because it was a really, really good primer for, you know, identifying the different degradation mechanisms in your lubrication systems. Today, we're going to talk about, in some ways, the, the effect of some of those degradation mechanisms, which is varnish formation. Um, so first of all, Sanya, welcome back. Yeah, it's so good to be back. I feel like, you know, time travel is possible every time I talk to you. Because I know you're in the future. It's an afternoon for me, but morning for you. So that's always great. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Now, I think maybe one of the first questions we can ask is, mm -hmm. why is varnish a problem now specifically? So even when you talk to some of the more experienced operators from, let's say, the turbo machinery world, you know, that you know, the, the cranky older guys usually say, you know, oh my gosh, oh, yes. the, this is a, <laughs> they, they put their tinfoil hat on and they say, this is a conspiracy by the oil companies to make us change oil more often because we never used to have this issue back in the day, you know, back in the, in the 80s and 70s, varnish was never a thing. Now, all of a sudden, you know, post 2000s, really, um, it has become a very pressing issue and it's sort of a, seems to have originated in turbo machinery but it's now oh, even yeah. bleeding over into, you know, plastic injection molding, mobile hydraulics, even gearboxes and things like that. So, you know, why are we talking about this so much now? Oh, because it's a sticky subject and we love <laughs> sticky <laughs> subjects, you know? <laughs> but I honestly, I remember um, when the, the first time I got into the industry and varnish was now starting up now i feel kind of old but um i was like 10 years ago like first getting out on a site and people are like it's the oil the oil is a problem we're gonna change the oil never had this and just, like you said we've had oil that ran for 30 years and never had this issue and at that time there were a lot of changes with base oils and certain um certain additives i remember i think barrier were one of them um, they were being pushed out of the industry because, you know, it was found to be toxic and people had to reformulate a lot and they had to move. A lot of people moved from group one to group two and people were like, I remember back in, back in those days, uh, somebody from Trinidad, they were saying, I saw somebody online in the UK and he said, this is the problem and you need to add this. And I'm like, hold on, hold on. We can't just do whatever we think and just randomly make these changes. Because a lot of thought and effort went into making those formulas and those products, right? Um, the average person and the average operator 
we are not chemists. So we don't know what went into actually, you know, producing that fully formulated oil as balanced and has its, you know, all its ratios and things in, in order. But varnish started creeping into the industry um, like 10 years ago. And one of the main things that, you know, that drove people to talk more about it is that we have the internet now. Not that we didn't have the internet back 10 years ago, but we use it a lot more now, right? So information has been spread so much more. Like it was difficult to get information on varnish, but since then, a lot of papers have been written on it. Even, even ICML got on board and have some varnish badges now, right? So it's something that is now getting the, I want to say the actual attention that it is, that it very rightly deserves because anything that shuts down your equipment should get some attention. But there have been so many changes within the industry. Like we've changed formulation because technology is evolving. And just like um, all of these different rotating equipments, like if you look at, and one of the examples that I love to use is if you look at cars from like 50 years ago, they were bigger. Everything was bigger, you know. And now we've gotten cars to be smaller. They're more compact. So the engine sizes are smaller, but they have more power to them. So let's think about that for a little bit. Like your lubricant has to be able to perform the same functions in a smaller space, a tighter clearance, hotter temperatures, different metals involved in your total engine. So the same happens within the industry as well. So cars are not the only one that that are changing. So, you know, your everything has to change. Your, your size of your sump, size of your turbines, those things, metals that are being used, because we're constantly evolving. And the lubricants have to keep up. You know, they have to be formulated to actually have everything in place. And if you formulate an oil, just to have a high RPVOT value, guess what? That's all it's going to have. Like, <laughs> there are some oils that, you know, they have over 10,000, their RPVOT value. And when you, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a total different conversation. But there are so, so, so many different things with RPVOT values that people, in the past, they, they range, they gauged an oil based on RPVOT value. And if they saw it over 10,000, they said, oh, that's a good oil. But if you if you go into the details of the test and you really examine it, RPVOT doesn't have that repeatability after 10,000. So what are you telling people about the oils? <laughs> but anyways, conversation for a different day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> going back to the varnish, like I think it's because we have so much information available to us today that people can share and people feel better sharing these issues now like in the past it's all oh my gosh i have vanish and i don't know what to do you know i i, I don't want to share that information because my competitors will find out that i have varnish going on in my equipment you know something like that so i think it's with the advent of culture definitely with the internet thank god for wi-fi do not go back to dial-up days um so sharing information and you know people being willing and open to talk about the issue because that's not something we had in the past like yeah I, that's really that's really interesting that. <laughs> it's really interesting when you when you sort of focus in on that communication piece right 
And um, what I find interesting about what you just said as well is the incentive structure that's set up. So when you were talking about RPVOT, you know, it felt like a lot of that was dictated by the turbine OEMs, right? They were the ones who were demanding lubricants, uh, and I guess they were pushing it with their uh, approval specifications. They were driving like higher values of RPVOT. And okay, in order to achieve that, I've got to move away from a group one base oil. Mm -hmm. I end up with group two, group three. Then I lose my solubility. Then the varnish falls out. And, you know, it's, it's sort of this, uh, let's say unintended consequence of, of uh, (laughs) the incentives that they put in place with, you know, all the, all the right intentions because they wanted longer oil life and all the rest of it. Maybe I think something which might be helpful as well is to actually define varnish because when you say the word varnish uh, in the context of of lubricants and lubrication, it seems to Mm -hmm. mean completely different things to different people. So so how about, you know, for the purpose of this discussion, let's define varnish and and maybe talk about the way that um, some of the industry bodies like like ICML, for example, how are Mm, they using the term especially when it's applied to, let's say, for example, the certifications that you were Mm -hmm. talking about earlier. Yeah. So that's it. The thing about varnish is that it has never been clearly defined. And if you think, and people are probably not going to like me too much for saying this one, but if you think about varnish as um, cancer, right? And you say that somebody has cancer, there are different types of cancer. Just like varnish, there are different types of varnish. So while we think that varnish should, you know, encapsulate everything, it does not. And, uh, you know, to me, when I think about varnish, I think about, of course, you know, I go back to the different degradation mechanisms. <laughs> so I think about oxidation. That's, that's the first thing that comes to mind. But some people think it's any sort of deposit that you have in your system. You know, you have and deposits. That's the other thing. Deposits can mean so many different things. Like a deposit could be something that fell out, an additive that fell out of the system, and it's deposited in the in the actual sump or the bearings or whatever. But sometimes people do a difference and say there's a difference between varnish and sludge, because sludge is you know it's not as uh, layered onto the equipment. It's a, it's a little more I want to say sludgy, but that's just using the same word. <laughs> so that's that thing. And I say varnish is the harder locker that actually adheres to the insides of the equipment. So varnish has taken on so many different meanings to so many different people. So I'm glad that we tried to, tried to define it because one of the main things with varnish is that it has so many different chemistries. So it's difficult to pin down and say XYZ is varnish. So, because varnish can be formed using, well, again, I go back to the degradation mechanisms. During oxidation, you have varnish being formed. So that's you have the free radicals coming out and then your antioxidants being depleted. So depending on what type of reactions you get there, that's what will form varnish. And... If you think about the degradation mechanisms and you think about, let's say, um, thermal degradation, you would get carbon deposits during that, during that degradation. Do you call that varnish? 
What do you call that? Deposits. Like for those who use managers, everything. So we need to put some sort of some sort of definitions in place because varnish can be used so loosely across the industry. And I believe what ICML did in their description of their badges is that they put varnish and deposit. So I think that they were trying to catch everything, everything sort of related to degradation and forming new species during degradation to kind of capture all of that because they talk about all the different mechanisms in those barges and if you look at the, the body of knowledge like it's very extensive because it covers all of the lab tests and whatnot highly recommend people you know check out the badges you know yeah always a good thing to do yeah it's it's it is interesting um that it does make and this is probably true of all of the ICML certifications, and we can talk yes. about this a little bit more in detail later, but they're all quite broad. So when you look at, let's say, for example, MLA 2 or 3 mm. or whatever, it, it, I think one of the weaknesses, if you like, of the certifications is that they have to be all things to all people. So mm -hmm. it has to cover, you know, engines, turbo machinery, gearboxes, yeah. hydraulics, it has to do everything as a catch-all, which is, which makes sense for, for, for a organization that sits at such a high level, but for someone who's just a turbo machinery engineer, there's going to be a lot of content in there that's maybe not so relevant to them. And in a similar way with the, the varnish badges, um, you know, we're using varnish as a catch-all term, which, which does encompass a larger umbrella. So we can talk about mm -hmm. soot deposit in, in engines. Yes. We can talk about coking deposits in aeroderivative turbines. We can talk about, you know, classic, that will, you know, hard lacquer that we see in uh, compressors and turbines. But again, yeah. it, it sort of tries to be all, all things to all people. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that's a helpful definition, right? If we talk about both varnish and deposition, so really it's kind mm -hmm. of anything that's falling out of yeah. the lubricant for want of a better word, um, <laughs> which, is, uh, which is interesting. So now... We come to the challenge of, okay, varnish is in the system mm -hmm. or is falling out of the system, as the case may be. So could you please maybe talk a little bit more in detail about uh, what are the downsides of that? Some of them are oh, obvious. Boy. Maybe some of them are not so yeah. obvious. <laughs> and, then, and then what are sort of the biggest challenges that you see in trying to combat varnish? Um, maybe both from a technical standpoint and from even like an organizational standpoint, what do you see oh, yeah. being some of the difficulties? Oh boy, I think once Varnish gets involved, everything gets sticky. Budgets get sticky because equipment goes down. People are like, why do you need so much money so soon? And why do you need to ship so many samples out for testing? So one of the biggest challenges that I think when we talk about varnish, it's just education about it. And I think that just goes down to the baseline for a lot, a lot of different things. Because if we don't understand what we're trying to fight, then we're losing the battle right away. So education on just degradation, degradation in your system and understanding your system and figuring out what's going on. That's the first thing that you can do. Because like we said before, varnish is 
so many different types of chemistries. Like you can have varnish being formed if, if you have some sort of contaminant in your system. But if you want to use like a, um, some catch-all to say, okay, we have varnish. If you're doing your little charts, your preventive maintenance charts, we have varnish in your system. This is what we're going to do. That may not work because you're not really addressing what caused the varnish. So that's why it goes back to education about it. So being able to identify exactly how that varnish is being formed and what changes you have going on in your system, because that's one of the things that sort of is, is a telltale. You can't just analyze the oil and say, okay, well, this is what's going on. You need to look at your entire system because your system is part of the equation. If you have your temperatures running up, if you have changes to metals and you have different reactions so let's say for instance you replace some sort of tubing and you have the oil passing through there that you know it wasn't doing that before but guess what this tubing um it pulls static electricity or it you know maintains the temperature for a longer time then your oil will get heated up a bit more and you're not gonna see that these that are happening with your oil is actually affecting you. So without examining your system, you're really fighting a, a very difficult fight and almost an invisible fight because you can't just do this with looking at oil analysis. You need to examine your system. So that's one of the things that is very important, the education about varnish and how do you actually deal with varnish because there are so many things out there and, you know, it's the internet. So you will find a lot of things with varnish. Not everything that you read is true. So validate, verify, apply it to your system, understand your system, and then sort of determine how you want to deal with it. Because a lot of times people say, okay, um, it's, like, it's like having the flu. There are so many versions of the flu. So many of them. But you can't take one thing and say, okay, well, this is what's going to help with that particular flu. Because that may be a different, you know, I don't want to use variants before this gets bad. Um, it may be a different type of flu that may need some, like a stronger, stronger antibiotic compared to a regular type of flu. So think of varnish like the flu. Nobody wants to get it. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a interesting way of, of looking at it. I guess that mm -hmm. it's a, it's a common problem with yeah. many different variations. Um, mm -hmm. the, that then obviously presents a lot of challenges when we're trying to deal with varnish. And if you look out into the marketing, there are, well, it's a whole cottage industry has grown up oh, yeah. around varnish removal varnish prevention, all this kind of stuff. So for, I'm not going to say the regular Joe Blow because no regular Joe Blows are involved in this kind of work, but um, for operators of machinery who have a varnish problem, have diagnosed the problem and are now looking for a solution, it feels like there are a plethora of solutions out there. So how do you go through a process of making the decision of 
what varnish removal technology is going to be right for yeah, your yeah. needs. So is do you have like a, a framework that, that you kind of use for making that decision? How, how, do, how would you go about it? So the first thing I would do is figure out what type of oil you have. Because sometimes depending if you have like a PAG oil compared to a mineral oil, you may need a different type of, you know, filtration system or anything like that. So start with the oil. What do you have? What type of um, issues have you been seeing with this? Is it like a rapid increase in MBC or your ruler values have been going down consistently? So you need to identify not just that you have varnish, but what is causing the varnish. Because there have been times and cases that I've gone through that they didn't need any fancy anything, right? So I'll just like one that comes to mind in particular is with a power generation customer that we had. And they were noticing the oil turning dark, forming all sorts of things in their oil. And they're like, this never happened before. You know, what's going on here? And we're like, well, the oil analysis shows that it's going, it's degrading rapidly, like ridiculously rapidly. And we said, okay, we need to take a look at the system and see what's going on with it. And just um, from finding the temperatures along the head of valve, you know, all of these, the sump, all of them, we realized that the temperatures on the sump were ridiculously high. And Further investigation, because this was um, steam and gas turbine combined, is that they had a steam leak. They didn't just have one, they had a few. Um, they had a few steam leaks venting directly onto the sump of the, the loop tank. So the oil was getting uh, heated to a point that it should not be, even before it got to the turbine. So by the time it got to the turbine, it was already degraded. And... They couldn't change the pipes on the system. They, they couldn't, there, there wasn't much that they could do, honestly. So the easiest solution that we could have done was put up a sheet uh, that kind of blocked the steam vents from going onto the, onto the turbine, onto the, the sump itself, and save it, save the oil before it, you know, gets degraded. So that was the easiest solution. And it didn't require any sort of, varnish filtration or anything like that because if you had put any of those systems in there they would have worked for some time but then you never solve the real problem so that's why i always tell people investigate fully before you even decide on choosing a particular filtration system or additive or any of those things because you need to understand what is going on with your system your oil is in there to protect your system and that's the job that it's going to do. But if it's being, and I'm going to use, I'm going to use a weird word here. If it's being harassed to the point that it cannot perform its function, it's not going to. But you need to figure out why it's getting to that point. What in the system is causing that? Can you make any sort of changes to that? Before you start putting on filtration systems. And if it's something that you can't change and it's a contaminant getting in, then sure, you you try and get that contaminant out. You, if you can redesign, you can redesign. But it's a lot of systems out there that claim to solve varnish. But like we said, varnish is so many different things, so many different chemistries. The first thing that you need to do is actually identify 
what chemistries are involved in your varnish. And the easiest way with that is getting a sample of the varnish to the lab. Get those tests done. It's usually an FDIR test. Find out what that varnish is composed of and then decide, okay, well, if it's composed of X, Y, and Z, then that could mean this is happening. And then you decide on what you want to actually implement in your system to sort of prevent varnish in the future. Because, you know, I, I always say varnish is related to oxidation. So if it is that something is causing all those free radicals to, you know, be removed from your system and depleting your antioxidants, what is causing that? Can we change that? You know, can we do something to make sure that the free radicals aren't being removed from the system? So it takes a lot of digging. <laughs> it will take some time. But it's definitely worth it because once you find something that aligns with your system, then it will actually help you out to not have varnish in the future. And there's no cookie cutter. <laughs> None. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, that, that's really interesting. Um, I guess what it comes down to is you know, really good root cause failure yes. analysis, uh, determining what the true, you know, we would always distinguish between direct causes and and root causes and oh, yeah. uh, finding the actual root cause of your varnish is is definitely going to be one of the key ways that you can determine what varnish removal system if any is going to be you know suitable for your particular situation and and like we kind of set up top varnish has become this catch-all term for deposit formation so it can mean any number of different things and obviously therefore the solutions are very widespread because there's so many different mm -hmm. variations on the problem. Yeah. So we touched already on the idea of education, you know, getting a better understanding of varnish formation mechanisms. Then, then also we talked a little bit about those new ICML badges, but haven't really talked about them in detail. Um, I guess where I'm coming at this is. Varnish has just become such a huge problem that ICML felt the need to actually dedicate two specific, I guess they're calling them badge certifications, yes. to this specific topic. <laughs> now, my understanding is that ICML does plan on releasing other badge certifications. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if the topics have been determined, but I can imagine, for example, that there might be one that would be dedicated to something like uh, you know, food lubrication or, or lubrication oh, yeah. in the food industry would a good example of a, of a specific subject, right? Now, varnish actually got two badges, right? Varnish identification and measurement, then varnish prevention and removal. So evidently it is a very important subject. So maybe the question I've got is, in your mind, because I know you've taken these courses, who do you think that these badges are appropriate for? Who should be taking them? Hmm. So I think the badges, they are just appropriate for everybody. Everybody within this industry, because guess what? Varnish is here to stay, whether we like it or not. So we better understand it and better understand how to identify it and how to prevent it. So the names of the, the courses are ideal. And, you know, every time I think about Varnish, I think about Greg, Greg Livingston from Polytech. And he did um, these two amazing courses on like he said it's for the varnish badges 
But when you say because it's so much more. Like Greg goes into so much detail about case studies that he's done and different research. And it's just such good information. Even if you aren't taking the, the badge, you know, certification, you should just check out the course because I think it's great for anybody. And the way that he structured it is that it's based on issues that he would have seen within the industry that he's worked in. Like he's been in Varnish for so long and, you know, done the early work on it, all of the research and whatnot. So I trust Greg implicitly with that. And I did the course with him. So that's like it's, you know, vouch for that. So the thing about the badges with ICML is that They've structured it to cover so many different things. Like you cover the different tests, you cover the different ways to identify varnish. Some of the things that you would, you know, see what's in the field. And when you go into, you know, detail with all of these, they're very relevant to things that people would see. Operators would use within the industry, operators, technicians, maintenance people, you know, everybody who gets into contact with varnish in one way or another i think these badges are for them because it helps people to understand and to get them more knowledgeable about a subject or a topic that they would just say okay it's varnish we leave that to somebody else like education it starts with education and starts with people understanding a lot more so i would encourage everybody to actually get into these varnish badges and the content is not that heavy so it's not like an mle course but it's not that heavy so i would recommend it for those people who are directly involved especially rotates and equipment people great yeah yeah i tend to agree with that actually because and and the specific challenge that i found with varnish is unlike some lubrication problems I i won't say most but unlike some <laughs> lubrication problems, this one's not very mechanical. It's mostly a chemical problem. And mm-hmm. as I've spoken about a few times on this podcast, I mean, most of the people in our, in our industry or the people that we work directly with, you know, your rotating machinery engineers, they don't have a chemistry background. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is kind of a, 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 let's say, a problem that they're not really equipped with the tools to deal with. And, uh, the VIM and VPR badges give you, it's not, like you said, it's not too deep in the weeds in terms of the chemistry, but it certainly gives you enough um, background so that you can make some really good decisions around how am I going to actually treat and remove this varnish, um, kind of over the long term. So yeah, I would echo your sentiments that uh, I do (laughs) think it's, it's for most people, let's say. So I, I think. It would be helpful um, just as we start to close up here, but if we broaden that discussion a little bit on certification, uh, I recently took most of the, or all of the ICML exams actually, except for the <laughs> LLAs. I, uh, I didn't take those, but I'd be interested in your take as well on the state of certification, maybe. Um mm-hmm. You know, I, I put out something on LinkedIn yes. basically asking, <laughs> you know, what do people think of that certification and how do you view people who are certified? Like when you see, I don't know, people are very fond of putting the letters after the name or, mm-hmm. or when you see that someone has been certified, 
you know, what, what, what does that give you now, just for perspective, one of the reasons why I did it was because, you know, working as a consultant on my own, people are often looking for proof or validation that you actually know what you're talking about. And <laughs> when you have, let's say not as much experience in the industry as mm -hmm. some people do, as some of the veterans mm -hmm. of our industry, you know, it, it's kind of not looked down upon, but they're looking for a demonstration that, you yeah. know, you're up to the task. And so, you know, yes, I get it. Just because you have letters after your name does not make you an expert in any way. No. However, right, it, it's something. So that's mm -hmm. kind of why I did it. But I would be interested in your perspective because you're coming from this as both someone who is, you know, in the younger cohort for our industry, um, also as a woman in STEM as well. Oh, yeah. And you've written extensively about that, right? And Ooh, for anyone, yeah. <laughs> for anyone uh, who wants to check it out, Sanya is like the most prolific writer going around oh, and so has written <laughs> a book, which is about to be published, right? On uh, oh, women huh? in STEM as there's also a podcast that goes along with that. So I highly encourage everyone to check that out. I'll put it in the description, <laughs> but yeah, with that perspective, um, how do you view certification and, and the, the use for certification? So the, the funny thing about certification is that there's always some sort of validation involved. Like we, we've been in this society and when we get to uh, like just now getting into the industry, you know, people are like, okay, what, what are you certified in? What's, what, you know, what's your background? And you're like, okay, well, I'm an engineer. That doesn't mean you've seen a piece of equipment in your life. So you may have an engineering degree, but you may have never gone out into the field before. So I, I view certification as a, it's a nice to have for validation sake, but it's not absolutely necessary because I learned a lot from the guys who were on the ground and they have, they are like the gatekeepers for information. They know every single thing that you need to know about the equipment. They know how it how it talks, how it, you know, sounds, what does that mean? That's what they know. And that's from years of experience. So having certifications, it's all well and it's great. And, you know, it validates you towards the wider community. And that's helpful. But that does not make you an expert. Does not. However, that being said, um, being female in the industry and before I launched my first book, I wanted to make sure that I was certified as an MLE because I'm like, nobody's going to take me seriously because if I don't have any sort of certification, they're like, where is she coming from? And it's something that I see with my business as well because when I, when I first started my business, uh, going to these larger companies who I will not call, um, pitching to them and say, you know, I have this new company, um, this is what it does. And all of the responses I got were, that's such a great idea. Who was the guy that came up with that, that concept? And I'm like, dude, I'm right here. <laughs> and even, even when I'm doing, there was this, another, um, instance within the industry. Like I was doing a training session and, you know, talking about lubrication and whatnot. And one of the guys, he stopped me and he's like, he has a question. I'm like, what's your question? 
And he's like, I need to know your background before I listen to anything else that you have to say. And immediately I'm like, well, my background is whatever's behind me. Are you sure you want to hear my certifications and my um, qualifications? Is that way to make you feel better? And he's like, yes, I need to know that you're technically competent to talk to me. And I'm like, oh, geez, you should not have asked that. <laughs> Needless to say, after he heard an airful of certifications and qualifications, he had no other questions for the rest of the training session. But it is still very relevant within our industry. Like some people look at certifications, qualifications, they, they have to validate you and your competence or your knowledge before they give you access to even talk to them. And this is uh, it's something that I've faced within the industry. I, I don't know if you faced it as well, but it's something that I see all the time, especially, um, especially being female in the industry and being young, because there was, there was another time that I walked into a boardroom, 15 male engineers, and the guy, the head of the table was like, oh, you're just as old as my granddaughter. I'm like, take that into consideration. <laughs> Yeah. So you you have things to think about. Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting perspective. That I mean, let's face it, there's not that many people in our industry that share your experience. Um, unfortunately, um, you know, there's there's I think a fair bit we can do to correct that, but yeah. <laughs> that's a long journey. Um, yeah. So I really appreciate your perspective on that because yeah. I think that's a that's an interesting take on one of the use cases for um, certification somewhat is like social mm -hmm. proof, um, but yeah. also a way to shut down kind of conversations, which we mm -hmm. really don't need to be having yeah. to be frank. Um, <laughs> but that, yeah, so that, you know, really appreciate you, uh, kind of sharing that experience too. Um, now as we kind of wrap up, I would like to ask a bit of a question about the future and what, and what does the future hold? So. Let me pull my crystal ball here out. Hold yeah, on, exactly right. <laughs> now, this always comes with the preface that most people's crystal balls um, uh, malfunction. Uh, ah, so, okay, so there is always the, the caveat that uh, what we say here is not going to come true. But if you were to look into the future a little bit, yeah. the future of varnish and varnish mitigation and all that kind of stuff, where do you see the industry heading? Do you think that the varnish problem is here to stay? Do you think that it's something that we're going to develop better tools for in terms of diagnosis and, and problem solving? You know, where, where do you see the, the industry kind of going? Well, right now I'm seeing this trend in the industry with this hunger for knowledge. And I love that. Absolutely love that. And with that being said, Having people being interested in the topics, wanting to learn more, when wanting to get certified or have engagement on these type of forums, that's a start. That's a start to us wanting to understand more and being able to change things in the future because that's where it actually begins. So I think the varnish problem is maybe, and it's a weird way to say this because the varnish might be the catalyst, even though it's, you know, it's very sticky. Uh, it may be the catalyst driving us forward to want to know more information, to get more involved in what happens with our equipment. So I think 
while varnish right now may be a large issue, I think that we're heading in a direction where it's not going to be that much of an issue very much longer because we're evolving technology, we're evolving formulations, we're evolving everything. Like, take plans on a cell phone um, now compared to what it was 10 years ago, right? So technology is evolving, everything is evolving. So I expect that this varnish problem will not be around much more because we're going to have so many things and so many solutions, even though we have a lot of solutions right now, but long-term solutions, looking at the more sustainability aspects of it. We're going to have a lot more of that emerging, especially in this century, because we're pushing towards um, a low carbon, you know, all of these great things. So I think we're in the right time where a lot of these issues are going to become non-issues within the next like 10 years. That's what I think. That's just my, my big crystal ball there. Yeah. Well, I really, I really like that perspective. And, and like you said, I think people's hunger for that, that knowledge, mm -hmm. you know, one of the benefits that I've seen is that it lifts the lid on how complex lubricants and lubrication can be. People go down the rabbit hole with varnish formation mechanisms and things like that. <laughs> and it's probably leading to a wider appreciation for lubricants as a, as a technology mm -hmm. and as a field. So that's, that's really exciting. That's, that's kind of my takeaway from it at least. Hey, uh, Sonia, it's always a pleasure to be talking to you, oh, yeah. uh, particularly in <laughs> podcast format. Um, so really appreciate your time here today. We'll, you know, you're absolutely going to come back for round three. Oh, yes. Um, so yes, now really appreciate the time and the insight, <laughs> and I'm sure everyone will get a lot out of the discussion. So thanks very much. Oh, yes. Thank you so much for having me. You know, always good to jump into the future there on your side. So I love doing these. <laughs>